Hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Let me just get myself organized. There you go. That will go in there. I feel like um, Nadal. Let me just put it there a minute. Okay. You all right? Did you enjoy the tennis? Good. Well, um, I've got three children, and uh, Sarah and myself, uh, really from day one when our first was born, and they're all grown up now, we had a strategy to not just let them know in their heads that we love them, but to feel that we love them. I mean, every, I, I, nearly every parent, I mean, 90.999% of parents love their kids. Um, but there's a difference between uh, loving your kids and your kids knowing that you love us. I mean, God loves us. God loves everyone. But that doesn't mean that everyone knows and feels how much he loves us. So our our strategy, uh, it wasn't our own, we got it from somebody else, but our strategy was, uh, uh, was very simple. Um, give them focused attention, that we would always endeavor to be present and give them focused attention, and that involves listening, face-to-face, blocking things out, letting them know that you matter. Eye contact. Not just... Uh, you know, you're in the kitchen, it's early morning, put your shoes on, you're doing something, get your lunchbox, put your coat on, and you're just giving you instruction, <laughs> and you never look at them in the eye. Eye contact, very important. Eye contact communicates love, focused attention communicates love. Physical touch communicates love. So we would hug, we wouldn't stop hugging, I would even I would do wrestles with the kids, everything I could to communicate that we loved them. And even now, our kids and verbal affirmation, tell them, I love you, I love you, I love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. And approval, praise, where appropriate. And of course, all of this, when people know that uh, you are loved, when you might have to have those difficult conversations from time to time, um, kids don't rebel because they know that they're loved. Um, kids rebel if you are instructing them and they don't feel loved. But when they do feel loved and you instruct, um, you don't tend to get so much kickback. And we've done this through all of their lives. So Rachel's 34, Matthew's uh, 32. Um, Chloe's 28, and I still do the same thing. I still give them focused attention. I had an hour's conversation with my daughter yesterday. She's in London. I was in the middle of a, writing a message that I've got to do on, on Tuesday night, but she phoned. She wanted to gave her an hour of my time. Tell her I love her. Couldn't give her appropriate physical touch. She's a long way in London. But even, but even now, you know, it's very, very rare that I don't walk into church or see Matthew on a Sunday morning, and he's 32 years old, and I said, Matthew, have I told you I love you lately? And I give him a hug, and I give him my attention. Everybody needs to feel the love. And so we had a strategy for doing that, and I had a strategy for doing it as a father. And I'm pleased to say that I've got a great relationship with my kids, and they're my best friends, and 
They've all got, all got a fantastic relationship with Jesus, and you know, they're all in ministry one way or another. They all feel called to do what they're doing. But our God, our Father, He has a strategy for communicating that He loves us, not just with words, but we feel loved. And He has a strategy to communicate that every single person on the planet has an opportunity to know how much God loves them, that they may experience the transformational, peace-giving, secure-giving, confident-giving, wholeness-giving presence of His love. Because that's what love does. And the Father sent Jesus. Oh, well, let, me, let, me, let me show you what the strategy is. I'm going to read it. Uh, Jesus, this is, this is the strategy. Luke chapter 10. It's very simple. And it involves people, it involves you and me. We are the ones who are the vehicles to communicate God's love to every single person on the planet. Every person you lock eyes with. Every next door neighbor. Every single person. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, 1 to 9, the Lord appointed 72. This is after the 12 disciples. So basically, it includes you and me. This is like you and me. He started with the 12, and then he said, right, 72, and this is where we get involved. We copy. And he sent them out two by two ahead of every town and place where he was about to go. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. Go, I'm sending you like lambs along amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who, who promotes peace is there, let your peace rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't go around from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Now, I'm just going to pick one or two key things that highlight the Father's strategy through Jesus and through you and me to let people know how much he loves us. And when we understand and feel how much God loves us, it motivates us, whether we know God to know or not, to know him more, or whether we don't know him, to discover him. The first thing Jesus said to his disciples, he says, go. Okay, here's the thing. God said to Jesus, the Father said to Jesus, go to this planet. Because as you go to this planet, and he was born as a baby to die on the cross as a man, as you go to this planet, that is the I'm going to communicate my love through Christ. God became a man. He came. He went. Jesus responded to the Father's invitation to go to communicate what God is like and his love. He who's seen me has seen the Father, says Jesus. But then Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. Let me explain something. The primary way that God reveals his love to people, to you and I, that our hearts may be open, that we may discover him and know him more, is through people. He doesn't write books and post them to us. 
He doesn't put neon signs in the sky. He communicates his love and his presence and his heart and his desire and his invitation to be loved by him and blessed by him, made whole by him, healed by him, touched by him, graced by him, forgiven by him, invited into the most transformational, life-giving relationship with him that changes everything for our good. He does that. He communicates that. Not just that we understand it, but we feel it through people. That's the way it works. He doesn't do it outside of people. He does it through people. And so he says to his 12, go. And he says to the 72, go. And he says to you and me, go with a mind to communicate his love and his message of love, his invitation to know him and be loved by him. What does that mean? in a practical way for you and I. It means that everywhere you go, you go with a goal mindset. Let me say it. Everywhere you go, you go with a goal mindset. God has sent you to your street, your neighbors. He has sent you to your university or your school, your friends. He has sent you to your work colleagues, Everywhere that your feet take you, everywhere you find yourself, have a scent mentality, a go mentality. Yes, I go to work to get a wage, to pay my mortgage, my rent, my bills. Yes. But I actually also go to be an image bearer, a communicator of God's love and message that people may know and feel that he is inviting you and me and every one of us into his goodness. Even on holiday. You know, I, 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 you know it's so easy you could be on holiday. I mean, I'm a, I, it's what I do for a living, you know. I, I'm a minister. <laughs> I don't feel it like a job. I, it's a great privilege. I don't view it like a job. But, but we do take holidays. But there is no such thing as a holiday. Whether I'm on a plane, Sarah and I were coming back from a three-day break about two weeks ago, and I sat next to a lady, and she was reading a book that Sarah had read, and she said, oh, I've read that book. It's a book on leadership, and Sarah started talking to her, and I started talking to her, and we were engaging, we were getting on well, and then she asked us what we did, and we told her how interested, and she wasn't a person of faith. But God wanted to communicate his love to her. So I sat in this plane, and I could have either said, oh, we're going to be landing in 20 minutes, or I had a choice. And I said, surely, Lord, you have something to say to this lady through me today. Give me something to say to her. Show me something about her life that, that she hasn't told me that will make her know that you know her and you love her and you care for her, even though she wasn't a person of faith. And as I was praying about it, I just got a sense that, one, she was, I, saw, I saw a picture, actually. I saw a picture of her turning a corner, and she was almost like halfway through the bend, but she hadn't quite turned the corner. 
I saw her writing a book that she hadn't finished. And uh, there was something else I felt that the Lord showed me as well. And I said, um, and I just wanted to, I just, just wanted to launch in there, you know, and just, you know, so I wanted to I test it. Um, and I said to her, um, um, are you writing a book? Yeah, she said, yes, I am. I said, you haven't finished it, have you? He said, no, I haven't. I said, I, said, I saw, a, I, I was praying for you on the plane, and I saw a picture of you turn, like on a turn of a bend, and you're almost turning a bend, but you're not quite there yet. And she said, yes, that's just what it's like. I'm about a quarter of a way through, and, I, and, I'm, and I've put it down, and I'm struggling with it. And I said, well, I really think you should pick it up. Oh, I also saw her lecturing. And I said, God is not just going to use your writing skills, but you're going to have opportunity to speak and multiply the things that you're writing about to others. And she said, I've already been asked to speak on the stage. It's just beginning to happen now. Well, she, she actually was a humanist, <laughs> but she was so blessed and provoked. And she said, thank you for sharing me. She said, what church do you go to talk about the church? She says, I'm going to Google you and look you up online. So she might even be watching our service online right now. Because she realized that God loves her and God's interested in her, begin to open her understanding. But let me tell you why that happened. This happened. Because even on holiday, you have a go mentality. You're saying, God... Is there somebody here that you want to reveal your love and your purpose and your desire and plan for, whether they know you or whether they don't, because you love every single person on the planet? Even in the workplace, I remember Danielle. She was a secretary for us many years ago, and she was a part-time secretary, and so she also had a, uh, another a job in an office. And again, actually, the lady who she was sitting next to in the open space office plan of a secular job she actually was an atheist, and she would often talk about church and her faith. And the atheist, they were good; they were friends, but the atheist wasn't interested at all. Well, why would you be interested if you don't believe in God? You can't blame him for that. <laughs> you know, if you don't believe in God, you're not going to be interested. But I, but uh, Daniel told me that one day she walked into the toilets, the ladies' toilets, obviously, and she walked into the toilets, and there was this atheist friend, and and she was in agony in the toilets with her back, and she'd had a long-term condition, and this particular day, it was playing up. And Daniel said, would you like me to pray for you? And her atheist friend says, yes, please. At that point, another colleague walked in and says, what are you doing praying for her? You don't believe in God. She says, I'm so desperate, I'll try anything. <laughs> so Danielle prayed for her, and she got healed, and all the pain went. Because Danielle had learned a secret and how to communicate God's blessing and God's love to people so they could actually feel it and not just hear about it but feel it and know it's true is because even in the workplace, she had a go mentality. So Jesus says, go. And I want to encourage you to do that. But then he says this. He says, pray for peace to rest upon people. Pray for peace. Now, basically, this is the prayer of blessing. In the Old Testament, often when the priest would pray, he would, pre he would pray the peace of God upon people. You, you've been in services when we give one another the peace. That's the peace. It comes from the Scriptures to bless people with peace. 
So Jesus says, go. But before you actually say anything, bless them. Because there's a difference between a blessing and a curse. A blessing is to release the presence of God over a situation or somebody's life for its flourishing and for its well-being. When God created Adam and Eve and the world, he made them and he blessed them and said, be fruitful, be multiplied. And, and he's blessing them that they may flourish and have wholeness and well-being in their life. So the strategy for communicating God's love and God's presence is, one, to be alert and to go, but the second is to take every opportunity to bless. It's very easy, no matter who we are, and uh, Christians or people who don't have faith can all fall into this. It doesn't matter who we are, we're all the same. Um, we can actually become very judgmental, very easily, things that we don't approve of, and we begin to judge people rather than bless people. It's very easy to do. And if people hurt us, or we don't like the things that people say or do, we can crank it up a little bit. Very easy to do that. I think of the story when Israel were attacked by the Babylonian king and their nation was totally destroyed. A little bit like, let's say, what's happening in Ukraine right now. They were attacked by a strong and powerful army. And Israel was totally decimated and the vast majority of the people were taken off into exile. In other words, they weren't just left in this ruined Israel of a nation. In chains, they were bound and marched off to Babylon, and then they become captives or basically trapped within the Babylonian empire away from their home. And there, in that situation, God sends the prophet Jeremiah with a word to them. And he says to the people, now what are you to do now you're in this nation from the people who have attacked you, defeated you, killed you, killed your relatives, done terrible things and taken you off to Babylon. What are you to do with them now? Rise up a rebellion? He says, no. He says this, pray for the peace of the city where you're living and work for their prosperity. For if they prosper, you too will prosper. That's a huge challenge. But Jesus said this, just don't pray blessing upon those who like you and love you. Pray for those who say horrible things about you. Pray for those who you consider to be your enemies or work against you. Pray and do not curse. Why? Because praying, blessing, brings the presence of God into somebody's life or upon somebody's life for good. And people respond well to blessing. They respond negatively to judgment and cursing. So if you want people to know the presence of God... If you want your children to know the presence of God, if you want your church members to know the presence of God, your work colleagues, your family members to know the presence of God, no matter who they are, pray God's blessing upon them. And your prayers have power to release the presence and activity of God in, your, in their lives that open up their hearts and people respond to the kindness of God 
more than the judgment of God. It says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to pursue Him. The kindness of God says, okay, Lord, I feel your love so much, and it's doing me so much good. I conclude that your way is a better way. Pray for blessing. So when you go home today, I'm going to give you a little challenge. Remember this. If you're living in a house, maybe one person lives next to you or two people or if in the middle of a terrace or wherever it is, when you go in, just turn to your neighbor's house on the left and go, Lord, I bless my neighbors on the left. May they know your love. I bless my neighbors on the left. May they know your love and your peace and your kindness. May they know all of your goodness. May they feel your presence and your care. May their hearts be touched and be overwhelmed with know that there is a God who is for them and not against them. I turn to my neighbors on my right and you do the same. And as we do this continually, what happens is like turning up the spiritual temperature. And what happens when the spiritual temperature gets turned up? Icy hearts begin to melt. It is knowing and experiencing the kindness and the goodness of of God in my heart and my love through his kindness and his blessing, his goodness, that always warms my cold heart and causes me to turn to him and seek him again. Haven't you found the same thing? Well, the same thing works for you. It'll work for your friends and your neighbors and the people that you love dearly as well. And this is a part of God's strategy. So we go, we bless, but remember in the blessing, Jeremiah said to the people in Israel in this terrible situation they were in, uh, work to, for the good and the prosperity of the city. So it's not just words of prayers, but it's blessings of action. So we serve. We serve those around us that they may know practically through our service that God loves them and God cares for them. Somebody once said this, Um, well, it was the Greyhound Bus Company, and they said this in the States, when you deal in basic needs, you're always wanted. When we begin to serve people at their point of need, whether it's a young mother who's had a child, and she's a single mum, and she doesn't, and she's frazzled and tired and up to her eyeballs with, with nappies and crying and sleepless night, and you just turn up with a meal regularly in that period of time. I've just heard you had your baby. It might be next to but you just, you just do something that's kind. We had that happen to us for every one of our kids. Oh, my goodness, what a blessing. <laughs> Whether it's something as simple as that, or I know the great works that you've been doing during COVID, feeding so many kids, fantastic, blessing and seeking the well-being of your city. Six minutes and 40 seconds left. Wow. I've been speaking too long. You serve. Why are doctors' surgeries full and many church chapels empty? (laughs) Because when you deal in people's basic needs, you're always relevant and you're always wanted. So bless and serve And then Jesus says, befriend. In other words, when somebody gives you a meal, eat it. Now, a a meal in those days, as it is in these days, 
is to be welcomed into hospitality and to accept somebody's hospitality and their culture. When you, now, you know what I mean by this, don't you? you? Your food, Chris, is associated with your culture, right? Welsh food, Welsh cakes. You know, we, when we travel abroad, even when we go on holiday, because we'd make friends with people if we go to the same place, we buy them a present. And often it's around food. And one of the go-to presents we buy is Welsh cakes. Why? It shows hospitality or love or concern or consideration and it speaks into our culture and we are sharing our culture. That's what you do, engage in people's culture and you come alongside and you befriend and you give value to people and who they are and their history. That's what God did to us. God, when he wanted to show us his love, he didn't send just a message he didn't send a flyer. He didn't send a leaflet. He didn't send a video cast. He didn't send a live stream. What did he do? He came as a man, as one of us. And he engaged in our culture. He identified with who we were as human beings by being clothed in humanity. In the, the Greek word is, actually the, the word in the Bible is tabernacled. It basically means he pitched his tent next to our tent. He came, he was the kid next door. You know, when I go camping, or used to go camping with the kids, uh, I have to admit this, sometimes I'd look for a quiet corner over here where nobody else was. Yeah? That's not what God did. God, actually, he looked where the gathering was and pitched his tent in the middle. He identified with us, and he was called a friend. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, or a friend of those who would be considered far off, a friend of those who would be considered not interested, a friend who not had yet experienced, encountered the wonderful, life-changing love and care and kindness of God. We befriend. We go. We bless. We serve. We befriend. Now, you might say, I don't have many friends. Wrong question. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Don't look for a friend. Look to be a friend. Don't look for a friend. Look to be a friend. It is better and more blessed to give than to receive. To give friendship than receive it. This is what Jesus did for us. This is the way the Father outworked his strategy to communicate that he really, really, really loves us. And he really, really, really likes us. And he loves and likes every single person on the planet. And as Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Go, bless, serve. Don't look to be a friend. Be a friend. And then he says, real quick, heal the sick. And so if you meet somebody in pain, like Danielle, just don't say, oh, that's really... That's really nasty. Would you like me to go to Boots and get you a paracetamol? Or do, do what nobody else on the planet can do for those people in pain. Pray for them in the name of Jesus that they be healed. It's the only thing a Christian can do. A Christian has the privilege and the power that comes with the name of Jesus. When, 
when Peter and John healed the blind man at Gate Beautiful. And they, could, they all said, that's clever. How did you do that? And they said, well, don't look to us as if it's our spirituality or godliness or cleverness that did this. No, this miracle took place through faith in the name of Jesus. Many, many times I've been in a situation where it's been in Tesco's, in the shop, my next-door neighbors. My wife tells this wonderful story of how she was working at her front window. That's where she does a lot of our work. And the postman came up, and he was struggling getting a letter through the front door. So she opened the door and says, oh, let me take it off you. He says, what's the matter? And he had damaged his wrist, and he'd been for physio, and it had gone on for ages and ages. And he was struggling as a postman doing his job. And nothing he was doing was fixing it. And nothing the doctors were doing was fixing it. So Sarah said, can I pray for you? Because we often see people healed like that in our church. And it was in COVID time, so two meter distance. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command that wrist to be healed. Following time he came round, he was coming up the pathway. She was working there again. She opened the door, and his wrist was totally healed. And it is still healed today. Pray in the name of Jesus for people to be healed. You'd be surprised how often they are blessed and feel the love of God. I have prayed for people many, many times who got healed. But let me be honest with you. I pray for people that haven't been, they haven't been healed. But do you know what? They always feel blessed and a touch of love. So I remember praying for one man in the gym. I might have shared this story, and I'll do it real quick before I finish. In the gym... He was in his 60s, and he'd had uh, cancer for bowel, uh, uh, surgery for bowel cancer and chemotherapy, and now his legs were feeling numb down to his feet because of the chemotherapy. It's one of the, one of the side effects it can have. So I'm talking to him about this, and I said, Mike, let me pray for you, because in our church we often pray for people, uh, and they get healed. So in the gym now, I pray for him. Now, I don't know if he got healed, but when I finished praying, he looked up and he went, that was really moving. And I went back to my workbench, and over the corner of my eye, I was just watching him. And he kept going into his bag and shuffling and pulling out these tissues, blowing his nose. He whipped all the way through his gym session. What was that? He was touched by the love and the presence of God. Often, often, often you'll be surprised that people get healed. But don't let what if they don't put you off. I have never yet come across somebody who hasn't been grateful for the prayer even if they have not been healed. Because they feel like somebody, you, and somebody might just love them. And then after all this, and it doesn't have to be done in this order, after all this, he says, and tell people the kingdom of God is at hand. You tell them about the love and the forgiveness and the life and the heaven and all the wonderful things that Jesus did for them and why he died upon the cross. Now I'm going to start, end where I finished. When I used to have to occasionally challenge my children over something, if they knew that I loved them, they received the message well 
because they didn't feel judged by me. They felt loved by me. And the message I brought was a message of instruction. So all my kids, all of my kids, every single one of them now, as adults, have all sat me down at some point in their life and they said, Dad, I just want to say one thing to you. Thank you so much that you loved us enough to instruct us when we needed to be instructed. That's, every one of them said that. Every single one. So they're not in now their 20s saying, oh, my dad didn't let us do this. and he didn't. <laughs> they weren't rejecting because they felt love. Thank you. They, and all, they all use these words. Thank you that you loved us so much to instruct us when we needed instructing. Because they, they, what they actually have said is because we've seen so, some of our friends now and they're so miserable because they got away with so much and didn't make us happy. But they have actually learnt the benefit of hopefully some wisdom, but they wouldn't have been able to receive it if they didn't feel loved. That's where we started. And when after all that, we come and say to people, I've blessed you. You've been blessed by God. You've known God serving you through somebody loving you enough to serve you. You've known healing. And even if you haven't got healed, you sense a sense of his presence and you know he loves you. And in the light of all this, there's so much more that Jesus wants to bring to you. And if you were to give your life to him, which I know is a hard message to, to, to hear and take that you're going to actually hand the control of your life over to Jesus as your Lord. And I know that's a real tough one, but if you do that, because now you really know that you love, he loves you and he's out for your good and he's watching your back and he's for you, not against you. And he wants to forgive you and give you heaven and a security and a confidence in life and set you free from things that you're struggling with and lead you and guide you into a wonderful place plan that he has for you that really does end well I know this is a life changing decision but those who feel loved can respond to it more readily than those that feel judged so this is God's strategy go, bless, serve befriend pray for people in their point of need and with wisdom and love, in the spirit of that love, not in the spirit of judgment, the spirit of that love, invite them to a life-changing decision to follow Jesus. And like me, and many of you in this room, if they do it, and if we continue in it, we will never regret it. Let's stand let me pray for you. Just open your... Why don't I encourage you to just put your hands out? And I'm going to pray a, blair, a prayer of blessing upon you.